All right, we're reading tonight, our reading tonight was of the story of Ananias and Sapphira, a story that I'm sure we're mostly familiar with, one that we have heard perhaps even preached on several times before, maybe more than several, but a story that if you really dig into it, if you come and approach it with a, a fresh mind, is really quite a surprising story quite a strange story, quite a unique story, especially uh, in, I think, our modern age. We have Ananias and Sapphira, and the reason that this is a surprising story is not simply about the story, not simply about what occurs, but also about the placement of this story. It's fascinating as we read the beginning of Acts, what we're seeing is an incredible story of a church on fire. We are seeing a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit, that is united, that is zealous, that is holy, that is set apart, that is doing all of these things with just incredible, incredible courage. I mean, the, the chapter before, we're seeing people healed, and we're seeing incredible courage by... Uh, the apostles who were leaders of this church, uh, and I, I, I mentioned this uh, on Wednesday night, uh, in both Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5, we see these apostles in almost a kind of a slapstick, humorous way, being arrested, beaten, threatened, and then immediately going to continue preaching the gospel. I mean, the courage, the, the, the sheer uh, bravado almost of these apostles is incredible, as is the supernatural protection that they are receiving from the Lord. And then in the middle of this, we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira. It seems a strange place to, uh, to uh, recite it, to, put, to place it. But then if we think about the details of the story, we think, boy, this seems, first of all, like a bit of a waste, right? Because we see with Ananias and Sapphira, somebody who I think a lot of churches these days would like to have in their company. Okay, well, maybe they weren't perfect. But boy, they were pretty generous. And they weren't just generous, they owned land. And then you think of it in uh, perspective, you think of it in context, and you think, and this was a time period in which these were believers who were mightily oppressed, who were drawing from people like the apostles who did not have lands, did not have money. Boy, should we really be coming down too hard on people like this who are willing to give it up, uh, give up this money, even if it's just a part of it? And then we think about it more in context and we say, well, this clearly had to have been a, a large part of the money that came from the sale of this land. Nobody would go and say, especially in today's market, I sold my house and I'm bringing it all to donate to the church. Here's $12,500. You know, I mean, it, it would have to be pretty close to what the land was worth for them to even try to get away with it. You think, boy, this seems like quite a strong punishment. And then death. Not a, uh, not a, a strong reprimand. Not a, uh, not a uh, perhaps a period where they were uh, kind of 
persona non grata, instantaneous death. And then we read about this and we think about this, you know, some of the, some of the, the aspects of this story that may seem strange to our modern ear. And then there's a word here that struck me in verse chapter 12. So they've died, and verses 1 through 10 is about their deaths. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Now that's an and that makes sense. It follows, Ananias and Sapphira died in church, were buried by volunteers from the church. By the way, notice the church service doesn't appear to get interrupted. I'm going to be honest. Uh, I think we differ from the church at Acts in certain ways, and we should try to become more like them. But if somebody were to die in this service, I think it's unlikely we would handle it the same way. I think maybe it would lead to some disruption. I don't think we'd go for another three-plus hours uh, and just get up a crew of people to go bury, bury the person in the front yard. But this and makes sense. Fear fell upon them. They had just seen something really incredibly uh, 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 life-changing. I mean, something very, very uh, strange and frightening and fearful. But then the next verse also starts with the word and. And, in other words, I think that this is to be read in the context of the foregoing verses. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's per, um, porch, and of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them, and believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women. There's a connection in this passage between the great work that was going on and the death of Ananias and Sapphira. There's a connection here. This isn't a throwaway by the way, so then this happened. Oh, and by the way, that's when Ananias and Sapphira happened. Oh, and then this was happening at the same time. There is a connection here. There's a connection between what happened and the power uh, that was a uh, power of God that was going mightily forth during these early days. And there's also a connection between the fear, the fear of the Lord that came upon the believers who witnessed it, and I think a connection with verse 13. And of the rest... Durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. Verses 12 and 14, we see that many people are being added to them. But there's also a group, of, there's a large number of people who durst not join themselves to them. In other words, there were people who were being saved. There were people coming to the Lord. But what does join themselves mean? I don't think join themselves mean becoming, become a Christian. I think join themselves mean socially, culturally latch onto as a form of a movement. People were scared to do that. There was fear that was upon them. And frankly, I think that that was part of the power that we see, the power of God going forth in Acts chapter 5 and in the early church. We look, about, uh, look at stories about the early church, we see the courage. We see the fearlessness in, in the face of incredible opposition, in, in the face of incredible persecution. We also see the incredible love that they had for one for another, where there was nobody with needs. In a much poorer time than we live in, there was nobody with needs because everybody did not even think of their own property as their own. They gave it 
uh, uh, completely to the apostles and let the apostles decide what to do with it in terms of gen uh, distributing everyone according to their need. This is an incredible church, a church that was meeting together every day, and yet one aspect of this was uh, uh, this incredible discipline from the Lord directed at Ananias and Sapphira. So in order for us to, I think, understand how this fits in with the rest of the story of the early church, the, the church at Acts, and uh, in order for us to understand the application that this has for us today, we're obviously going to need the Lord's, Lord's help. So let's, let's pray and ask him for his, his, uh, his guidance uh, as we delve into this passage. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that we know that nothing in your word is extraneous. Lord, that you have given all of it for our blessing, our benefit, and our admonition. Lord, I pray that we would read this chapter and we would get the message out of it that you want us to get. Lord, there, there may be uh, messages and, and things that I see out of this, Lord, but I pray that you would direct my words and that you would direct all of our hearings, Lord, that this word would not return void, but would accomplish the purpose that you have set out for it. In your name, amen. Now, again, as I kind of laid out, there's a little bit of a strangeness to the placement of this story, because this would appear to be a seeming setback for the church. Because what do we read in the, very, in the chapter before? Now, listen to the words that are being used here. These are universal words. These are not conditional words. Uh, and, with great, er, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Neither said any of them. I think we can safely assume that this included Ananias and Sapphira at one time. This is, this is before the time that we're reading about Ananias and Sapphira. When this is being described of them, these Ananias and Sapphira do not appear to be new believers. They are people who have been joined to the church potentially for some time. And so when we read these, I think these apply to them, or certainly applied to them at one time. And starting again in verse 33, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all, I think. Potentially, and I think, uh, I believe, including Ananias and Sapphira. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. What we see is a united church, what we see is a church that is zealous. Zealous in good works, zealous in unity, and zealous in learning about God. And this stands to reason. Because if we think about the time period they were at, this is right after Jesus was crucified. This is during a time in which there was immense persecution. And there was persecution not simply from the Jewish rulers, but from the Romans as well, persecution for uh, these, uh, these people uh, by the Romans, just crushing them down kind of politically and socially. 
because of their nationality, and then the people that they would be going to, perhaps, to find common cause with, rejection because of their belief in Jesus Christ. So it would stand to reason that the people who would be drawn to Jesus Christ, who were facing such incredible persecution, would be united ever more closely together. We see that quite often with persecuted churches. There's a reason that persecution often is such a cleansing aspect for churches on a national level. You hear about churches, persecuted churches in some of these oppressive countries, and you see a very pure church, you see a very zealous church, you see a very courageous church. And that's because all of the people who are coming uh, to church for the social aspects, for the, uh, the beneficial aspects to their career, they're all winnowed out, and only the people who are truly committed to the Lord Jesus are coming. So it does not, it's not perhaps surprising that when there was this incredible form of persecution that the, the believers would be very close together. And furthermore, this is a time in which there's been a very clear outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Another reason that these believers, these believers are filled with the Holy Spirit and they are motivated by the Holy Spirit to do these great things and to be so united and so uh, so uh, tied together. And again, I, uh, I think that that very possibly includes Ananias and Sapphira. Again, the church at this point, there were, there were people certainly being added regularly, but this was not a large church at this point. There was so much persecution. Uh, there was so much uh, uh, dispersal even uh, now of missionaries going out, that this was not a large church. There was no worldly benefit that you would uh, uh, see necessarily about being joined to this church. Again, even in today's day and age, there's still in many areas a large benefit to people from claiming Christ and from being joined to a church, even if they don't actually believe. For some, it's a monetary benefit or a social benefit or a political benefit. Uh, and that's why we still have many people who pretend uh, uh, to follow the name of Christ who perhaps don't. There's still a benefit to it. But at this time, there was very little discernible benefit. And yet, we have this great unity that then we see this uh, surprising aspect of. Ananias and Sapphira want to get in on this. At some point, perhaps, they were filled with the Spirit. At some point... They were on fire. They certainly were on fire enough to take the action that they did. An action, perhaps, uh, of more sacrifice in terms of the amount of their possessions compared to the amount that they gave. It's probably, it's very possibly more than any person in this room has ever given. Owning property back then, this was going to be a substantial part of your worldly goods. And they were giving up, again, a very substantial portion of it. Substantial enough that they thought it would convince the apostles and the other people at the church that this was all of the price of the land. Now, again, there's some surprise about where this takes place. This is in place, takes place in a church on fire. 
This takes place in a church that's uh, really following the Lord. Why would Ananias and Sapphira go through the trouble of selling this land and giving most of the price and hold back any of it? Uh, why is this connected thereafter with the increasing and uh, strong growth of the church? But let's just take a quick portion or a quick time to analyze the actual story itself. Ananias and Sapphira, again, make a great sacrifice. This is a great sacrifice. This is the sale of land and a portion, a large portion of it, being donated to the church. Now, it is fascinating, though, to note this. It's been noted before that Sapphira was not there at the church service. She wasn't there till hours later until she noticed uh, her husband not being there. It is uh, uh, something uh, interesting to ponder. Why was she not there? Why was Ananias there by himself? And yet, nevertheless, it's fairly clear to see what their motivation was, right? Their motivation was to get in on the uh, sort of good press and social cachet that they had observed Barnabas getting. Uh, and others who were getting, who were giving all of this money, either to get that, to get the praise of men, or to avoid perhaps the shaming. Perhaps they thought, boy, everyone else is selling their land, and people are going to start looking at us. We got some land, we got to sell it, and we got to give it. What do we see reflected here? Well, we see reflected quite a few sins when we look at this. We see certainly reflected the sin of pride. They were concerned about what others thought. That sin of pride, as it often does, leads to hypocrisy and uh, falsehood. Quite often, uh, uh, those things go together, obviously. When you are proud, you don't want other people to know uh, the truth about either your failures or the limitation on your success. Uh, and... Uh, this lying was lying, uh, and this hypocrisy was not simply lying to the other people. But what else do we see reflected? We see reflected a lack of proper concern for God. They were concerned about what the people thought of them. They didn't spare a thought as to whether God knew how much that land was worth and how much of it was sitting back at home. They didn't spare a thought for that, and that is why uh, Peter says... Uh, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? They're lying to the Holy Ghost. Well, what else are we seeing reflected here? A lack or a covetousness. They are covetous. They want to keep some of this money. They desire to keep this money while still get the praise of men. And then finally, what do we see reflected? A uh, faithlessness that is related to covetousness. They wanted this money very possibly because of uh, the security aspect of that. It would, it would take a lot to give all of your possessions to the apostles and just hope that somebody else down the line, if you have needs, if you all of a sudden uh, uh, have some great need where you need uh, the distribution from the apostles, that somebody else would have sold theirs and given so that you could have your needs met. We see all of these uh, uh, sins reflected, and we see the punishment. The punishment is swift and severe. It is instantaneous death. 
And then three hours later, by the way, those church services were long back then. They were meeting daily, and this was hours and hours and hours that they were meeting together. They were uh, doing this daily, and they were doing this without having Sundays off, more than likely. This was a great sacrifice. This shows how zealous they were, how uh, excited and hungry and thirsty they were to learn about the Lord. But three hours later... Uh, they, uh, uh, Sapphira comes, wanting to know where Ananias is, uh, and then she lies as well, and herself is struck down. And then they bury her, and then again, we read the passages about uh, these many, the fear that came upon them, and in connection with that, the continuation, the growth, uh, the wonders that were being done of the hands of the apostles and of the attitude of all the people around them. People were afraid to ally themselves with them, to be joined to them. But the people who were uh, hearing that call of the Holy Spirit were becoming Christians. Well, what's the lesson here? Well, I think uh, uh, certainly there are many different lessons we can draw from this. But I think one of the most important lessons is something that we see reflected in uh, so many uh, passages by early church leaders. We see this in Peter, in 1 Peter and 2 Peter. We see this in 1 John. We see this in Jude. We see this in Titus. We see this in Timothy. What was a huge concern of the early church leaders? A huge concern was people creeping in wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, we understand that today very well, I think, because we have some very clear wolves in sheep's clothing, perhaps, that we could see and go, yeah, we see a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing, and we understand why. Because there's a lot of money to be made off of Christians. (laughs) There's a lot of money to be made off of Christians. There's a lot of people who show up to the church And they go, well, here's a lot of people who will buy these products. Here's a lot of people who will buy my books. Here's a lot of people who will buy my musical CDs. Guess what? None of the record companies wanted them when I was doing this in the regular world. But if I just put Jesus, the name of Jesus in there a couple places, boy, they're going to fly off the shelves. An instantaneous market. And we see a lot of warnings about being made merchandise of uh, in the New Testament. But if we really think about it, this is a little bit strange. Because again, the church in Acts, compared to the church today, was under constant persecution, was often having to meet secretly, was comprised not of a ton of rich people, but many times very poor people, people of working class backgrounds perhaps who had had to give up their jobs for the most part to follow the Lord. These are not people that you are going to be able to make much merchandise of. of. And yet even from the first uh, epistles that we're reading, they're saying, watch out, watch out. And that's because, what's the motivation there? Well, we see reflected in the beginning part of Acts chapter 5. Satan hath filled thine heart. Of course, the motivation is both a selfish motivation that we see today, but even back then, this was a clear ploy of Satan. 
This was a desire of Satan. Now, what was Satan's desire? Satan's desire was certainly to destroy Ananias and Sapphira. Certainly, right? He wanted to bring down Ananias and Sapphira. But what was Satan's game here? It was also to bring down the church. What is the warning against false believers, against hypocrisy, against people uh, with uh, uh, sinful intent coming into the churches? What was the purpose of this, uh, these warnings? It was not simply to protect the individuals who might themselves be dealing with these sin problems, might themselves be dealing with secret sin and hypocrisy, but also to protect the churches. Protect the churches in two different ways. Protect the churches uh, in the same way that there was protection in the Old Testament in the days of Gideon. God said, no, 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 I want me to be glorified. I don't want your arm of flesh to get the credit, so we're going we're gonna to make it small and we're going to make it the, the, the people who are most alert. But also, Achan. We see how many times with Achan, but other times in the Old Testament, how often the people of Israel, as a people, were destroyed because of sin in their midst. But furthermore, what else do we see that is reflected, that is part of the game of the devil here? Well, the game of the devil here was doing what he loves to do. The devil doesn't create, he perverts. He just gets it a little bit off the path. And what Ananias and Sapphira were doing was externally exactly the same as what everybody else who was really spiritual were doing. They were selling property and making huge donations to the church. And again, not donations selectively. They were laying it at the apostles' feet. They were completely giving it up. Well, what's Satan's game with that? You might think, well, hold on a second. Satan, boy, he, he, what kind of game is that, that there's this huge donation to the church? Think about all the good that the church can do with it. Well, of course, the, Satan's uh, scheme, Satan's scheme was meant to destroy this church, meant to throw it off track. And the scheme was to introduce in and among these believers a very dangerous, dangerous sin. And that's the danger of sin, a dangerous sin of pride and self-comparison. And of course, we know how many times that destroys churches. Churches uh, uh, are Christians. They start looking at each other and they say, boy, that person isn't doing as much as me. Either that makes me great, I deserve a little bit more credit, I want to do this because I want everyone to recognize how incredible I am. Or perhaps that person there isn't doing enough. I'm going, there's going to be tension. There's going to be division there. And that's what the devil wanted to introduce. The devil wanted prideful people in this church. The devil wanted a spirit of competition in which people were trying to do things for their own glory rather than the glory of God, which, of course, would have been very destructive to the church. And so what did God in his infinite wisdom do? He removed the tumor immediately. He removed the cancer immediately. Again, by the way, going back to what is surprising about this story is, again, 
that this is a story in which none of the actions, except for maybe one or two sentences spoken by these people, was anything but externally an incredible work of generosity and uh, uh, glorifying to God. Because again, this was a work. This was a work of great generosity. What these people were doing. What was it that made it a scheme of Satan? What was it that Satan filled their heart to do? It was to do it out of the wrong motive and out of the wrong heart and with the wrong uh, 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 message as to what they were doing. Just keeping back a little sliver for themselves demonstrated the the motivation of their heart. And that's what Satan was trying to foster in this church. And we have this great uh, immediate uh, addressing of this by God. And then a final, a final uh, addressing of this. This was not something that God was going to countenance. And it had its desired effect. What do we see reflected in verse 5 and in verse 11? So Ananias dies, gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And then verse 11, and great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. What do we see here with fear? I I don't think we necessarily see fear as in fear of a bully. What we see is fear in terms of respect of the power and holiness of God. This was a reminder to this people about the seriousness of following God. Because again, Ananias and Sapphira were doing something they had no responsibility to do. That's the strange thing about this. If they had come to Peter and said, we have sold our property and we're giving you part of it. And we're keeping back some of it for whatever needs or because we just want to. Or we've sold our property and we're not giving any of it to the church. We'll give 10% for a time. I don't believe we would have seen anything like this. I think it's very clear from the passage that this would have happened, that nothing would have happened. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine power? Peter says. This would have never happened except for the falsehood, because the falsehood, what the falsehood revealed about your own hearts. Peter recognized this as the work of Satan. And then the church all recognized it for the seriousness with which God took it. And that fear that fell upon them, that respect, that understanding of the holiness of God, of the power of God, of the seriousness of the work that they were engaged in, I believe is thus very much connected with verses 12 through 16, where we see the work of God continuing to go forward. And not only the work of God continuing to go forward by a church that is completely committed to unfeigned holiness. Holiness that is not being done for each other's approval, but for God's. We see this effect not only on the church and their work, but we also see the effect on the world. Anybody who was looking to to come into the church and find a, uh, a nice a comfortable social club, said, well, I better not. I'll, I'll go join the Elks Club. This is not for me. This is a dangerous place to be. If church is ever feeling too comfortable, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's something, that's a cause for concern. 
This is something that uh, ought to be a little bit uncomfortable because what we're doing is dangerous and what we're doing causes the enemy to target us. This is something uh, that should be uh, a little dangerous. This should be something that is not entered into unadvisedly. We see this, I, I saw this reflected, uh, if any of us, you have read the book, uh, The Band of Brothers, uh, the story about uh, airborne troops in World War II. It was a very, very dangerous assignment, and people had to volunteer for it. But the reason, and the reason they, the uh, people volunteered was because they knew the people who would brave those dangers to uh, join that elite unit, they would feel much safer around. They're not around people who are there uh, just because they feel they have to. They're around people who are fully committed. And the same mindset was true in the early church. Those who would be joining for the wrong reasons, those who would be joining for carnal reasons or for their own benefit, were afraid and kept back because of what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. Well, what's the application for us? The, the application for us, certainly there's applications about the danger of pride. There's application about the danger of the fear of man. There's, da there's applications for us in terms of the actual sins that Ananias and Sapphira engaged in. If we start uh, uh, caring more about the praise of man than the praise of God, we are in a dangerous position. We are in a position that could potentially not simply lead to our downfall, but could potentially endanger uh, uh, any church or family that we are a part of. So certainly there is an aspect of application that is related to the actual acts of Ananias and Sapphira. But I think the greater application for me in reviewing this passage in preparation for this sermon was simply the fact that God calls us to complete and total surrender. We all understand this. But when God calls us to do something, he calls us to do it with all our might. Now, that may manifest itself different, differently in different uh, ones of us. Peter made it very clear. Not every one of you was called to give up all of your property. While you had that property, you didn't necessarily have a call on you to give it all up. Peter is not saying you are being punished because you were told of the Spirit of the Lord to sell this property and give all the money. He said you are, you are, it's not for resisting the call of the Spirit. It is for lying to the Spirit. And uh, we see reflected uh, the seriousness by which God takes this. We see the seriousness because of the impact this can have on a body. Now, when we are examining ourselves, and we'll have an opportunity to do this uh, as we go to communion shortly, when we examine ourselves, I think it's important to examine ourselves in a variety of different ways. Certainly, we examine ourselves for the very clear manifestations of sin in our life, right? We should be examining ourselves did I fall in the area of anger or lust or pride or et cetera, et cetera? Certainly that is something that we uh, should be uh, 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 paying attention to. But as we see from Ananias and Sapphira, 
there was nothing really that we see reflected here that most people in uh, examining themselves without the aid of the Spirit of the Lord would even see as a problem. Or if any problem, certainly not a big problem. What, you're saying that it's such a big deal that I gave 95% of the price of my land that I didn't have to sell to the apostles and I kept back a little 5% just in case of a rainy day? You're saying that's a big deal and that it's a big deal that I didn't announce it before everybody? Hey, everybody, I kept back 5% and you're going to make a federal case out of it? You're going to make such a big deal out of it? Well, God makes a big deal out of it. God makes a big deal of it if we are following him out of the wrong motivation, God takes it seriously. Jesus said, if you're doing something for the praise of men, you will have your reward from that, from that, uh, that action which you do for public praise. And yet what we also see reflected here is if you are doing something feignedly, uh, half-heartedly, for the purpose of your own uh, a benefit for your own uh, pleasure, for your own glory, glory, then God takes this very seriously. God will not share his glory with another. It is something that we, therefore, ought to take very seriously. So when we examine ourselves, we not only examine ourselves for the sins of commission, the bad things that we do, we not only examine ourselves for the sins of omission, the good things that God calls us to do that we have not engaged in, we not only examine ourselves for the sins of our heart and our thoughts and our imaginations, but we also examine ourselves in the good things that we do. We examine ourselves in the things that we do that are actually to all indications, to all of the people around us, perhaps even to ourselves, if we are not examining ourselves with the, uh, the benefit of the Holy Spirit's searching searchlight on our, on our lives, which seem to be an unadulterated good, but perhaps we, who besides uh, God himself are the only ones who can truly uh, know our own hearts, can acknowledge with uh, the conviction of the Holy Spirit are actually not motivated by the correct things. And we do this, we examine ourselves, we humble ourselves, we confess our sins one to another, we repent from these sins, not simply for our own protection, not simply for our uh, own benefit, for our own uh, future growth, but also for our families and also for our, uh, for our church as well, for our community. Because we see Ananias and Sapphira's sin did not simply effect, uh, affect themselves, that affected the, each other, it affected each other. Not, neither one of them was able uh, or willing to, uh, to stand up and say, God wouldn't want us to do this. This is wrong. And it affected the church as well. So as we go forth here tonight, the fact is that every single thing we do, if we do it in the wrong spirit for the wrong motivation, if we do it not properly and and uh, uh under the Lord, from the sermon that I'm preaching tonight, to the taking of communion, to the sharing of the gospel. God can do good things, by the way, out of our actions, but that doesn't mean that we can't be destroyed in them. Have you ever stopped and thought about uh, what came of that money? 
We don't see any uh, uh, evidence that Peter cast it back at them. Peter probably took that money, and it probably did a lot of good in the church. It probably met a lot of needs. It probably was a blessing. They didn't get any of the benefit of it. They simply got the discipline of the Lord, the ultimate discipline of the Lord. And so it may be for us. So each one of us, let us examine ourselves, not simply at times of communion, but daily. That as we do what God calls us to do, as we do what we are uh, uh, commanded to do, or even things that we could say, God didn't even command me to do this. I, I'm, doing this I, I'm, I'm doing this out of the, the goodness of my heart. I'm trying to go above and beyond. Let's make sure that we are doing things out of the correct, uh, the correct motivation, out of the correct heart, that we are doing things not in resistance to the Holy Spirit, not lying to the Holy Spirit, not in a preference of the praise of men over the praise of God, but that we are doing things as we ought. Because doing so will not simply uh, be protecting ourselves, will not simply be glorifying to God, but will also be the way that we see the sort of unity and growth that God wishes to see in our churches, in our families, and in our own individual lives. All right, let's close now with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for this story, Lord, this, this, uh, this uh, fearful story, the fearful story that ought to concentrate our minds as we think about your, uh, uh, your uh, feelings towards this particular grouping of sins that was manifested by Ananias and Sapphira. And I, Lord, I pray that you would reveal to each one of us in our hearts, any wickedness that we are holding on to, any wickedness that we have not confessed and repented on, any hypocrisy that we are holding to, Lord, any good that we are doing, but that we are not doing for you. Lord, I pray that you would reveal that to us, Lord, that we may turn, that we may humble ourselves, that we may be a congregation that is united in your spirit, that is driven by your spirit to do these great things as did the early church in Acts. Lord, the same spirit, uh, your same spirit, is at work uh, and desires to do work in us today that did work in that church in Jerusalem. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, give us uh, the humility to allow it to work in our lives and in our families and in our church. In your name, amen.